I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, folks. Good to see everybody here. Here in studio, we are uh, joined once again by Sam, JJ, and Tim. Tim, nice to see you. It's great to see you too, Michael. How great, are you? Great to be here and great to have our friends. Now that we haven't been talking before this broadcast, I didn't just walk in and that's, introduce him, but that's I'm, I'm asking on behalf of the audience, how are you? You know what, I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah? Yes, thank you. JJ, our, how are you? Our Savior I'm is doing great. And it's well. fun to be here. Good. Sam? I'm doing much, much better than I deserve. All right, you got you got yourself a coffee there. What kind of coffee is he drinking there, Tim? He well, he's drinking the the roast is called the Caro, and it is our house blend right now at the Credo House. And it's well worth a visit to the Credo House to all those out there who have never visited. I now, is that our is that our house for today? Do we change houses every day? Not every day, but we change it up. But when someone comes in the Credo House, they can have any blend that we carry as well. So okay. they can select any different types. Any theological significance to the Vaquero? Not really. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a cowboy term for kind of cowboy up. And so uh, I guess theologically it would be, come on, get it on, get in the Credo House, have some energy and get it on. <laughs> Okay, well, that, that's my uh, most academic intellectual response that I can provide right now. All right, well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> um, got some classes coming up, Tim. Yeah, we do. We've been uh, teaching a lot, Michael. I think we've been feels like almost every day teaching a class on church history or theology, and we've got a bunch of them coming up. If you go to thecredohouse.org, then new curriculum is coming out all the time. Okay, and and. On Mondays, we're going to start the theology program here pretty soon so they can enroll in Introduction to Theology here at the Credo House. That's or right. we're often offering Introduction to Theology online as well, right? That's right, yeah. Tuesday night is just always going on at the Credo House. So anytime anybody wants to come up here, Tuesday night is a good night, 630. And, and we had somebody drive here from Missouri yesterday just to be at the Credo House, so that was exciting. So right. thank you for coming. And yeah, Did they have a nice time? <clears throat> I think they had a splendid time. With the theology program, what's really cool, Michael, is that uh, you know you might hear Michael on the podcast, you might read his blogging and things like that, but what's neat is that if you are an online student, Michael will be sitting at his computer uh, focusing just on you. And so uh, in, in the past, Michael, we, you've been teaching a, a class here at the Creed House, and at the same time, we have cameras set up where live you're interacting with students. But this year what we're doing differently is that uh, the online class is a class all by itself. And so if you're listening, you can say, wow, I can have uh, Michael to myself in many ways with all the rest of the students and feel like I'm sitting right in front of you uh, learning theology from it's you. It's the old school. That's the way we used to do it. That's right. So we're, we're going old school again, and we think it'll be a great experience for you. If you've always wanted to go to Bible college, always wanted to go to seminary, and the Lord's just not going to lead you there uh, for whatever reason it may be. Or you know, we know pastors who have gone through seminary, but uh, they don't have that theological brotherhood that they'd like to have, mm-hmm. that the theology program can be a great way uh, to continue sharpening yourself or to be sharpened in this way for the first time. All right, good. Well, what's our topic for today? Well, our, our overarching topic is our discussion about the charismatic gifts. What do we, what do we got this guy here for? 
so you're since this is not television, you uh, you looked over at JJ's side. Uh, JJ is a good friend of all of ours. Uh, we've got JJ in here because we love him because we think he'll contribute greatly to our conversation. Uh, it balances it out as well because uh, Michael and I are biblical. Or, I mean, our uh, <laughs> and uh, JJ and Sam are uh, you know mainly Michael and I line up and mainly JJ and Sam line up, even though we're all. I won't say we're all on a continuum because Sam's rejected that uh, that frame of mind. But uh, but we're, we're, we don't all believe exactly. I mean, no Christian, two Christians have ever believed exactly on the same things. But generally, uh, JJ and Sam will have a similar view. Okay, and we're talking about uh, the charismatic issues debate. Yes, that's correct. Um, still, still a debate. I mean, I don't know why there hasn't been that much uh, that has been spoken of or published on this in the last 20 years. Maybe there has. Maybe I've missed it. I mean, there have been a fair amount. Like Sam was involved in, in a, a counterpoint where yeah, four points yeah. are being written. And, yeah, and that was the Zondervan counterpoint series, Our Miraculous Gifts for Today, right? Sam's pulling it out right now. He too, We too can, can purchase this from Sam right now. Um, our miraculous gifts for today, Sam. This is this is um, Richard Gaffin, Robert Saucy, and Douglas Oss. I'm not familiar with Oss. 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 Doug Oss is a Pentecostal. He teaches um, in trying to. I think he teaches in the um, Assemblies of God Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, Doug wrote uh, the, the more classical Pentecostal perspective. I wrote the what they call the third wave. Point of view. Uh, Robert Sosi wrote what we called "open but cautious," which we kidded him and said, "No, you're closed and cynical." <laughs> and, uh, and then Richard Gaffin wrote the, what you would call the hard cessationist perspective. And, okay. Uh, but uh, it's interesting. This book in the uh, in Zondervan's Counterpoint series is by far and away the best selling that they've ever had in this mm. particular. Uh, and they were like 20 volumes, I wow. think, on various yeah. topics now. In yeah, course. I think they've got Women in Ministry, Book of Revelation views, oh, yeah. so all sorts of topics. I think we're in about the fifth or sixth printing, so huh. it's doing wow. very well. That's wow. great. Let's not forget Wayne Grudem's magisterial doctoral thesis turned into a book that in the 2000 version has a bunch of appendixes that I think are... Well, you know what I've seen is that I haven't version. seen there's, there's that many, say, books like MacArthur's Charismatic Chaos that came out in the 80s, you know, that is that is anti-charismatic so much anymore. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe I've missed most of it. But most of it seems to be just primarily anti. If they do anything, it's more of an anti against the um, uh, health, wealth, gospel type stuff. Yeah, uh, Richard Mayhew, who teaches for MacArthur at Master's Seminary, wrote one, I think it was in the late 90s, uh, primarily on the issue of healing. But you're right. In the last decade, uh, I struggled to think of of a book that was written specifically uh, trying to argue for a hard cessationist position. Mm. Um, and I don't... There was a, um, a volume published by Broadman and Holman on four views on spirit baptism. Mm. But aside from that, I don't know of any other books that have addressed the issue. Yeah, and sometimes I want to get into that and ask that question. You know, what is the relationship between... The, uh, the way in which the first wave, I guess, the Pentecostals would deal with a lot of this stuff and, and how it has changed to where maybe there's, it's not quite as, I, I don't know if you'd say controversial anymore or, or what's happened you know, with regards to all this stuff. But um, um, I think today we, we just really want to start 
Last time, last few broadcasts, what we have done is we've tried to define how it is we're going to move forward. But I think we really need to just jump in and talk about the gifts themselves. Mm -hmm. Because we got a lot of people here that are listening to this for the first time, listening to the broadcast for the first time, or just encountering this issue for the first time. You know, anytime you talk about spiritual gifts, that's kind of an odd thing. You know, what's your, what's your spiritual gift? You know, I mean, you go up to somebody, well, what's your spiritual gift? And they're like, huh? You know, I was telling yeah. my kids about it the other day after I got done with the broadcast. I was telling them about what we were doing. And I said, you know, we're talking about spiritual gifts. And, and the spiritual gift, and I tried to explain it to them, is something that, uh, you know, God gives you in which he wants to use you in the church, the way in which he wants to use you in the church. But I want to stop for a little bit and then talk about these in general. Talk about what are the spiritual gifts, and then what are the gifts that we're talking about that are controversial, and how would, how do we distinguish those gifts, and why do we distinguish those gifts? Yeah. But spiritual gifts in general, Tim, tell us about them. Well, you know, I I think first of all, it is difficult in some ways to I think give a real clear this is what they are, because there's a lot of different understanding. But I'd say at a high level, when someone becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit gives certain gifts to people. Uh, you know, the Bible speaks of, of the bride of Christ as a body. And so we've got arms, we've got legs, we've got eyes, we've got ears. Uh, well, Christ is the head and we're the body. And, uh, and, you know, so different, I think there's this way, and there's this uh, dignity to every human being. So if you're thinking, wow, I don't really have anything to give. I'm not the pastor that's up front. I'm not really involved in certain aspects of the ministry. I'm just a normal, nobody Christian. God doesn't see it that way. God says that you have been selected intentionally and you have been gifted intentionally so that you can be a vital part of the body. Some of the smallest, most insignificant parts of the body, if they are not functioning correctly, you're laying on your back and all parts of the body are sick. And so I think there's a part of every person that that God has put us in the bride of Christ intentionally and with a gift that will benefit the entire body of Christ. And so ultimately, spiritual gifts are for the strengthening of the body of Christ and are uh, unique aspects. Now, that does get into something like that says, well, I was a generous person before I became a Christian, and uh, then I became a Christian, and now I'm a generous person. Does that mean I have the spiritual gift of generosity because I've always been a generous person? You know, some of those are a little hard because it's like, well, is this just a natural talent I have, or have I always just been predisposed and now I have the spiritual gift? But I think uh, re- without getting into that issue right now, just a high-level definition is the Spirit of God, who Ephesians 1 says, having believed, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, who is, the, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so every believer has the Spirit in them, and then with the Spirit in us, we are serving the church and edifying the church. Through our gifts. Okay. So if, uh, if everybody agrees to that, hopefully high-level explanation of spiritual gifts. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would agree with it. I would just go on to say, uh, and I don't know wh- where you would come down on this issue, that um, I don't think that um, the New Testament teaches that every spiritual gift that we might ever have has been given to us at the point of conversion. I, yeah. That was a view that I used to embrace but uh, it doesn't make sense of 1 Corinthians 14.1 where Paul tells Christians to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. Well, if they had already received every gift they were ever going to have, that wouldn't make much sense. Plus the fact that um, he tells later in 1 Corinthians 14, the person who's praying 
in a tongue to pray that he might interpret. So mm-hmm. he's obviously here's a person who has a spiritual gift, and Paul's saying, pray also that you might be given the gift of interpretation. So yeah. uh, I would say that spiritual gifts certainly do come with conversion, but that the possibility also exists for God to impart additional gifts throughout the course of our Christian lives. There might just be new seasons of life where the Lord gifts us with certain things, yeah. but but maybe not in all cases, though. Maybe someone who receives a gift at conversion, the gift of evangelism, and that's their primary gift throughout their entire lives, right? Certainly. So it's more that, a, that's certainly possible, yeah. So so it could be, but it's uh, it's kind of a case by case in some ways. Yeah, and, and I think one reason why some evangelicals have hesitated to acknowledge that we can receive additional gifts throughout the course of our lives is because it sounded a little too much to them like a second blessing. Yeah. Um, and they didn't want to uh, be in a position of sounding as if they were denying that they got the fullness of the Spirit at conversion because we're not denying that point. The Spirit fully dwells every believer, indwells every believer, but um, suggesting that the Spirit can continue to impart gifts subsequent to conversion is not the same as the second blessing theology of classical Pentecostalism. Well, and, and these are gifts, you know. I mean, it'd be like saying, oh, God only has given me two gifts in my life, eternal salvation yeah. and a gift of evangelism or something. Look at lowly me. I've only been given two gifts from our supernatural God who's living and active and is leading me safely home. I mean, we have to recognize we should never feel inferior for having such amazing gifts in themselves. And then it's only God's grace that he may give us additional gifts throughout the course of our lives. And I would just add one other thing. If we're defining spiritual gifts, I really think First Corinthians twelve seven is the key text where Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So a spiritual gift is a manifestation. It is a, it is a display. It is an expression of the Holy Spirit in and through a believer. It is the Spirit coming to uh, varying degrees of concrete, uh, tangible expression through the activities of individual Christians. So I think sometimes we, we talk about gifts in the way we do uh, something I got for my birthday or anniversary. It's a thing. Mm. It's an object. Mm. But it seems as if Paul is saying, no, gifts are, in fact, nothing less than the Spirit of God himself coming to manifestation in and through um, your words, your actions, your deeds, uh, your ministries in the body of Christ. So. It's a fairly significant thing when we realize that spiritual gifts are not a kind of a, a substance or a third object separate from God. They are, in fact, the Spirit of God manifesting Himself in and through believers. So, would you say if if you like if you tell me you have a gift of prophecy, for instance, do you, well, would you say you have a gift of prophecy? No, okay. I have oh. prophesied, but I do not have the spiritual gift of prophecy. We can talk about that distinction yeah. later okay. on. Well, that's it. Well. Would you say, as charismatic, that people do have a gift of prophecy? Some people do, yes. Okay. But then what that necessitates then is that, well, even would that person even then with that understanding say, I only have the gift of prophecy in as much as the Spirit shows up when I seek to utilize that gift? Yes. Okay. And that raises a very good point that we'll talk about later, at least I definitely will. Yeah. is a, a distinction between in spiritual among spiritual gifts between what I would call permanent spiritual gifts or yeah. residential spiritual gifts as over against temporary or circumstantial spiritual gifts. Um, in other words, I think there are some spiritual gifts 
that you can you can exercise maybe once in your life and never again. Sure. There are other spiritual gifts, that and that one, person shouldn't say they have that gift. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then there are other spiritual gifts that once you receive them, you can exercise them all the time at will. They are permanent and residential within you. I think the gift of teaching is a good example. I think most teachers would say. There's never a time when I'm devoid of the spiritual gift of teaching. Now, I might do a bad job. Yeah, I've seen Michael teach a few times. I know he has the gift of teaching, but there have been a few times that I've said, well, maybe not tonight. Random sporadic. (laughs) The glory has departed. That's right. Yeah. Uh, But then I think there are other spiritual gifts that I would call circumstantial, that God sovereignly bestows in particular unique circumstances to meet a particular and unique need, but that does not necessarily entail that a person will always function in that gifting in all situations. But we can talk about that later. The distinction that Sam's making is valuable because we were dancing around some of that last one of the few times, <laughs> last time, the time before last time when I was here. Um, we were dancing around that a little bit and saying, you know, are there signed gifts? Are there these non-signed gifts? Oh, come on. Teaching is obviously so different from prophecy. But really, it's not that one is more supernatural than the other. That's a fallacy on our part. If we think teaching is a natural thing, then we've already got ourselves in a lot of trouble. It's a spirit-empowered activity. Well said. But one can look more spectacular or be more attention-grabbing, sometimes in a very good way, as Paul refers to in Corinthians, saying, man, he's going to fall down in your midst and say, wow, God must be among them. They just read my mail. But it's looking different, maybe because it's, as Sam said, something that's not used at will, and we're not able to sort of pull it out and use it any time or more dependent on the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to use it at a given time. Let me first go through some of these gifts. Uh, I think there's uh, we would all agree there's four major places in the New Testament that talk about these gifts. I don't think of any place in the Old Testament that necessarily says this because I think it is something that is unique for the church, unique for the manifestation of the Spirit in which the the church uh, is the body of Christ and so while uh, uh, of course God did have prophecy in the Old Testament, did have people that he used in a very unique way and sure had people that were very gifted this is a different thing that we're talking about here with regards to the body of christ the church uh first corinthians chapter 12 of course is one of them romans chapter 12 there's two 12s and two fours romans chapter 12 first corinthians chapter 12 first peter chapter 4 and ephesians chapter 4 right right and, 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 and in first, first and in first corinthians 12 there are two lists Two separate lists. There's, okay. uh, there's verses 7 through 10 and then verses 27 through 31. So there are actually, you might want to say, in five places. But you're right, in one chapter, but two places within one chapter. Okay. First um, Corinthians, or Romans chapter 12, it says, verse 6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, now, that's pretty interesting because he hasn't talked about it yet, uh, about the gifts to the Romans, and it's kind of an assumption here. Since we have gifts, the assumption is we have specific gifts that differ, differ according to the grace given to us. I think it's part of his teaching, but at the same time, somewhat assumed. Each one of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his Exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we have a list of a few gifts here, um, and oftentimes we get out our pencil and paper and start writing down these gifts, right? Okay, how many did he say there? So we've got, you know, six 
seven represented here. Let's go to the next passage and count and see how many that he had there. And I'm not sure if that's the way we should do that. We can talk about that in a moment. And then are these exhaustive lists or are these, you know, just lists that Paul, you know, maybe there are other lists. We've all taken spiritual gift tests that have things on it that are outside of this list, even gifts of like uh, internet design or so, you know, like it can go all the way down to details at that depth as well. Yeah, quite a few that are in the, these lists that we're talking about here going to the list that is in Ephesians, which I think seems to be a little bit different because these seem to be gifts that are given to the church rather than to individuals. And we'll try to see if we can distinguish between that maybe later on. But it says he gave some as apostles... Well, backing up to verse 10, chapter 4 of Ephesians, it says, He descended, and uh, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far... Well, actually, it would go a little bit before that, where it says in verse 8, He ascended on high and led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then in verse 11, it says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so some more there. I don't know if we've uh, overlapped with some that we went through before, but as you can see, these lists get a little bit larger each time we go through them. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but of the same Spirit, and there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. And there are a variety of effects in the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to the one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another affecting of miracles, to another prophecy, and another distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And then finally, just so that we can be somewhat exhaustive in our in our uh, statements here, and I know you have a second list, Sam, and I want you to read that, okay? In chapter 12? Yeah. You may read it now? Yeah. All right. In uh, verse uh, 28, Paul says, And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So that's a, that has add, uh, added a few to the earlier list in, in the earlier part of the chapter. Ephesians chapter, or 1 Peter <clears throat> chapter 4, it says, And each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, do so as one speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves, do so as it is one serving by the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in Jesus Christ in all things. So, we got a list here, a few lists. And, right. and the, uh, here's another question that, again, so many that we can take up later if we think it's important. And, I, Tim, you already made the point as well. Um, is there any reason why we should assume that this is this exhausts all possible gifts that God could create and fashion and give to His people? Um, I don't know anything in the New Testament that says these are the only gifts God could ever give. Um, I think if we put our heads together, we could think of a handful of um, 
of expressions of life and ministry and service that might qualify as a spiritual gift that aren't explicitly identified as such. Think about intercession. I mean, obviously we're all to pray, but I've known people who just live 24-7 with a daily burden to intercede. They have yeah. more energy for it. They take delight in it. They are seemingly more effective mm. in, in, in uh, intercessory prayer. Could that be a spiritual gift? So uh, we have to be careful because we want to stay, obviously, within the parameters of Scripture, but Scripture itself never explicitly says, and these are all the gifts that God will ever give. Mm. So maybe these are representative lists but if there are other gifts that we might identify, we would all, I think, agree that they have to operate and function according to the guidelines and principles that, that are explicitly set forth in the Word. Yeah, in other words, exactly. they could never operate outside the boundaries of what God has given us in, in His Word. Yeah. In other words, there would never be a spiritual gift, for example, that would not serve the common good. And if you had a, somebody thought there was a spiritual gift that was wholly self-referential. It only benefited me. It had no effect on you. It wasn't other-oriented. We would say, I'm not sure that qualifies given the way in which uh, God describes the function of all gifts being yeah. for the common good. Well said. JJ, you were going to say something. You still got uh, it? Just for the sake of comprehensiveness, some people would argue that 1 Corinthians 7, 7 adds a sixth list because he says there's this gift of marriage and gift of celibacy. So. Yeah. Not Does anybody in this room uh, have the gift of celibacy? <laughs> no. Oh, okay, good. But I, God, I, thank you probably. for not granting me that <laughs> yeah. gift. I, I appreciate you withholding that yes, one from me. Yes. Yeah, it's so probably does my wife. It's probably appropriate though to mention John Stott though at this time because yes. I mean I think he would have said that he did. Yes. And um, and we want to honor him for that. For uh, he. Uh, as of this broadcast, he recently passed away, and we want to honor him and 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 for probably being the the greatest example of someone joyfully operating within that gift. Absolutely. Um, that, he was kind of just threw a downer on your little joking there, didn't he? Yeah, well, no, we were I, having I, fun with the celibacy I know, thing. John, just, just as John Stott, he does very to grateful time, okay. to God that he received that gift. I am equally grateful that I didn't. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about these just for a moment, all right? Um, long list, lots of things. Where none of us, I think we would all agree that we wouldn't say this is trying to be exhaustive. I mean, there's overlap between some of these, and there's no reason to think that whenever he's speaking of these, he's trying to be exhaustive. What he's basically doing is trying to say that every Christian, every believer, everybody in the body of Christ has something to do that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. How's that? That's very good. That's exactly what Paul says. Uh, Varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Uh, varieties of service, the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Which is why, as J.J. pointed out a moment ago, um, we have to be careful we don't too strongly divide or differentiate between so-called miraculous gifts and more yeah. mundane gifts because it's the same God who empowers every gift in everyone. So a person who's expressing the gift of mercy uh, in a situation or the gift of giving, as you mentioned, Tim, is no less empowered by the supernatural presence of a supernatural God than is the person who um, might be engaged in healing or prophesying or whatever other gift seems to be more overtly miraculous. Well, well, well I, 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 I don't that's... like that. I don't like that. That's one thing I'm going to take uh, distinction with and try to argue out of you for a little bit. But before I go there, here, let me let me try to do one thing, okay? <laughs> I want to talk about the, like, 
trying to figure out, we've got these non-exhaustive gifts. Like I took a spiritual gift inventory one time, and one of the gifts on there, I kid you not, was the gift of martyrdom. Okay, to see if you had the gift of martyrdom. Okay. Uh, that's the gift you only use once, but you know it's, it's very effective whenever you use it. <laughs> but but a lot of times you you kind of it goes overboard with all these different gifts. But we agree that all these gifts are you know. Um, well, since Philippians one says that suffering is a gift from God, maybe yeah, you know, maybe you're so. onto something. I guess so. suffering. <laughs> Wonder if, and we've all probably taken some type or given some type of spiritual gift inventory test, right? I've got this comic up on my on my computer that shows Paul writing a manuscript, and it says, "Dear Timothy, I'm sending you under a different heading this spiritual gift inventory test. I hope it gets to you okay." The thing is, he never got it, so we don't have the inspired spiritual gift inventory <laughs> test, right? But we, we do our best with what we've got. A lot of the questions on the spiritual gift inventory tests, and I'm not saying these are legitimate. I'm just saying, you know, we do these. But a lot of times what we're trying to do is to bring out what people like to do, you know? Do, do you, are you uh, inclined to get up in front of people? Are you scared in front of people? Uh, is it something that you... Uh, feel like you're effective in in ministering to people through you know your words. Are people comforted by your words? And do you do you make a lot of money? <laughs> do you want to give that money away? You know, I, lots of different questions that are on there. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they seem to incline themselves or endear themselves to some type of uh, natural type of question. You know, like Tim said earlier. Uh, there's a lot of things that we would do before we became believers that maybe we would do inside the church as well, right? Well, and I think uh, Mark Driscoll is a good example of this. Uh, he was, I think, a speech major or a communications major in college. And uh, and I, I know I'm not doing justice to his story, but basically he was on the road towards communicating with people, uh, then became a believer and now is a preacher. So he might be a good model for that. Are we saying that when a right one of you become a Christian, right? Right one of you trust and rest in Christ, all of a sudden you have some new capacity, new ability that you did not have before? But see, I think, I think John Piper would say he was deathly afraid of public speaking. And even after being a believer, he was deathly afraid of public speaking. And then God allowed him to get past that, and now he's a gifted speaker. So I would say I think we have examples of both sides. And getting back to answer your question, Michael, uh, I would probably say no to to, to that. I, I think that I do believe, as we've already indicated, we do receive a gift, a manifestation of the Spirit. But I don't think it's necessarily this wholesale download, as it were, that a gift comes fully formed and um, incredibly fruitful. I think most spiritual gifts are capacities or um, abilities imparted by the Spirit in which we grow. We can deepen our effectiveness. I mean, think, for example, I mean, I'm, I've been in ministry for 37 years, and I hope I'm a better teacher today than I was 37 years ago when I first started. You can improve and uh, um, expand in the uh, in the in the gift and in its effectiveness. So a lot of people use the term "develop your sure, spiritual gift." Sure, yeah. I think that's true. I think I think virtually all of them, to some extent, some more than others, are gifts that are going to grow, expand. We can learn. We can um, increase our effectiveness in their exercise. We can learn from the mistakes that we make. So, yes, a, a gift is imparted, a manifestation of the spirit. But it doesn't necessarily come 
in the fullness of what it might potentially become. And you would you would uh, place the so-called miraculous gifts in that category too. You can learn from your mistakes of prophecy sure. and grow. You can learn from your mistakes of speaking in tongues and grow, uh, just like any other gift, you would say. Yes. Yeah. Well, Michael, I'd add, mysteriously, even though growing up in Calvary Chapel in the Vineyard, I somehow managed to never take a spiritual gifts inventory. But but when you think about the, the concept of one, it's it, from a popular psychology perspective at least, it's, it's a semi-intuitive idea. You know, I was raised with my mother telling me, you're good at what you like and you like what you're good at. So if we've defined spiritual gifts as being something around a spirit-empowered ability, then you know, it wouldn't be unhelpful in some cases to say to a person, well, what do you like? Well, it yeah. means you're probably good at that thing. Well, why are you good at that thing? Well, maybe the Holy Spirit supernaturally gave you an ability in that area. So, I mean, it can be a window. But the problem is when it becomes, you know, this is the only way to divide up the gifts. Um, you know, is it prophet, priest, king? Is it speaking versus serving? You know, we have to be understanding that Peter and Paul don't seem to be highly concerned about how they slice up the pie. Yeah. Then it can be helpful. But if it becomes a dogmatism or this test said I have this, so therefore I have it, yeah. that is dangerous. Yeah, or like, man, I really love this over here, but this test said I have to do this, <laughs> so right. I grudgingly for the rest of my life I'm going to go in this direction. <laughs> well, uh, and I, I fear actually that's got the some gift people of martyrdom, and then I retook the test <laughs> and, and redid my answers. So. And God gave me the gift of celibacy, and I gave it. <laughs> Refix it as well. So let me check this. Maybe it's this box I checked that messed me Re- up. Return to sender. Yeah. We have a whole generation of young men that we're trying to explain to them that just because they can't get a date doesn't mean they have to get the cell to see. Yeah. All right. Well, next week we want to talk specifically about this. How do we distinguish? I would distinguish them as miraculous gifts. I may even put the word sign in there, but. These guys aren't going to like that, so we're going to have to uh, pick that up. Well, and define what do we mean when we use these terms? What do those gifts look like? Yeah. Uh, Until next week, folks, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.